we wrote a, a short letter going back and telling our clients that, you know what, we have, we have lived through drama, right? And we've recovered through, through COVID. That was Roberta Muller, Senior Vice President of the North Star Travel Group. North Star is the leading B2B information marketing solutions company serving all segments of the travel industry. We want to welcome you to the first episode of Season 2 of This is Annex, the podcast about marketing for B2B marketers by B2B marketers. Today, we'll be talking to Roberta about digital engagement strategies and helping B2B media clients through the challenges of 2020. You're listening to This is Annex, the podcast about marketing for B2B marketers brought to you by B2B marketers. Join Kyle Shea and Stacey Bradshaw as they talk about trends, insights, and best practices to arm you in the disruptive battle to stay relevant in today's B2B market. And now, this is Annex. Hey everybody, I'm Kyle Shea. And I'm Stacy Bradshaw. And this is our first episode of season two, Stacy. Exciting. I like how you I like how in your intro you just said the challenges of 2020. Didn't need to specify well, the pandemic or COVID, just, just 2020 at large. It just seems like there's a lot going on. Um, but I'm excited that we're kicking off season two with our conversation with Roberta because we always like to talk to other publishers. It gives us a chance to find out you know, how they're advising their clients and B2B media buyers in their sectors during, you know, these, during 2020, these times of uncertainty. Yeah, she was so good. And, and particularly interesting because Northstar has a suite of media brands that happen to serve the corporate travel and travel space, as well as um, meetings and event markets. So two sectors that have been hit particularly hard um, by the pandemic. And the great thing about this interview with Roberta is, yeah, it kind of focuses on some of that a little bit, but it's certainly stuff that is that we can use for marketers in general when it comes to the B2B space. Yeah, we've learned a lot. For sure. You know, we've got three takeaways. Stacy, why don't you go ahead and uh, run them down for us? Yeah, so the first was that the pandemic has really accelerated this transition to a more obviously digital focused buyer cycle in all sectors. Um, so as publishers, Northstar really focused on making sure that their media products that they're offering reflect that change. So offering things like marketing automation and account-based or ABM marketing products that allow clients to target specific segments or accounts within that market. So they got really savvy in terms of coming up with, with a more digital-focused product suite. Yeah, and Roberta talks about a few of those in, in this interview. There's some Interesting thing, there's a thing called a journey that uh, really is part of the whole marketing automation scene that we'll be uh, diving into a little bit deeper uh, later on in the podcast. Yeah, and the second one was about retaining and growing customers, and that really became the foundation to their pandemic recovery. So for Northstar, that looked like simplifying their offerings, so making things like the journeys that you talked about, making them turnkey and really easy for media buyers to execute. And those journeys, they can can be kind of confusing if you first look at it, but what the great thing Northstar has done is really distilled them down into some really easily defined packages that advertisers can uh, easily put together. That's a really good transition into our third takeaway. And it's something that we kept circling back to in the interview was that Northstar is really looking to be of service and to treat their clients like partners and not just buyers. 
So they developed things like the COVID comeback playbook, um, which you can find on their website. It offers clients a framework for where to invest marketing time and resources during the pandemic. And so that was the one thing that really resonated with me throughout the interview was that buyers are expecting their suppliers to treat them as partners and to help them through this. And, and I think if we all take that approach, we're, we're gonna see success just like Northstar has. And I think a good example of that is what Northstar has done with their COVID playbook. If you go to their website, and we'll put that up uh, on the website, our website, uh, this is annex.com, and uh, you can go there and look at their playbook, and it's got seven great points to go through. These include reassess your brand positioning, evaluate audience perception, create post-COVID messaging and content, uh, focus on new media, new media and audience channels, spring clean your data, plan for contingencies, and take the long view. Yeah, and Roberta touches on that. While obviously immediate business needs are going to require immediate action, we can tend to get quite uh, reactionary um, in times like this. So not losing sight of the long-term planning and looking ahead a year from now, um, especially when it comes to your marketing spend. Speaking of looking forward, I'm looking forward to this interview, Stacey. This was a great chat with Roberta. And the next voices you will hear is uh, Roberta Muller. So, Roberta, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. That, that's uh, quite a lot you got going on at uh, Northstar that is under your purvey. I uh, wonder if you could touch on what Northstar North is and uh, your roles uh, from when you started to now. Yes, great. Love to do that. So, uh, I've been with Northstar, it feels like forever. And we are just like many B2B companies, right? Started out primarily in print and over time we have completely uh, really changed who we, have, who we are. And uh, pre-COVID, the COVID days, we were uh, primarily changed the mix of our business and we were heavily into face-to-face -face events. And after that, our revenue stream was heavily digital. And then following digital was print, followed by uh, subscriptions. And we offered many of the services, I'm sure uh, your audience listening uh, offered face-to-face uh, uh, -face events along with, uh, you know, traditional uh, display ad, social, uh, webinars, uh, um, you know, downloadable guides, uh, custom content, uh, a video, uh, podcasts. So, you know, um, a lot of the same media and uh, elements that a lot of B2B companies companies offer. And I oversee, I, I would probably say primarily operations, the operations team, just making sure everything runs smoothly from a, from a digital perspective. Uh, everything um, from not only just production and digital production operations, but also audience, audience development, all the systems that operate the business, as well as uh, marketing services, making sure that runs smoothly as well. And we're touching the client properly and making sure uh, the campaigns run successfully, the reporting runs successfully for our clients and our clients are happy. But also our websites are operating properly and our content is getting delivered properly on those websites. So what comes along with that is all of the project management, and the product management for all of the 
the products that we offer and the services that we offer on the websites as well. So uh, it is it is it is quite a lot, but I enjoy it. And like I said, I, I I do learn something every day. So it's it's quite a it keeps me on my toes. Keeps me on my toes. So you said this is your first podcast interview. It is. It is. So I, I, there I, you are. You're learning something new even. I, I am. I am. I will. I will keep it clean for you. <laughs> That's right. We're on a delay, and uh, we have somebody at the ready on the button. <laughs> we have to do it for Stacy all the time. Oh yeah, it's true. <laughs> I'm interested in the fact that you served two sectors that were obviously pretty hard hit um, in the meeting and event space, and and obviously travel. And you know, we were talking about this the other day. The fact that covid what it's really done in so many markets is just accelerate accelerated our move towards you know a more digital focused buyer cycle so which has obviously changed tremendously for your sectors so i guess i'm i'm curious to start like how has the change in that buyer cycle changed how you guys are advising your marketing professionals your advertisers to to change how they do things now yeah, well, we are in the travel, leisure travel, and we are in the meeting planning industry. So our our customers are, you know, Marriott, Hilton, uh, Mexico Tourism Board, Hawaii, you know, and or our meeting planners, right? Uh, meeting professionals, corporate travel managers. American Airlines, Carnival Cruise Lines, right? No one's cruising right now, folks. So, uh, not a lot of people are hopping on planes. Uh, so it's it was really uh, it was really uh, it's it's been a tough go for us for sure. And where you know where we've had to take a step back, right? Like many companies, our staff has been you know furloughed. Our staff has been, you know, reduced hours. Um, you know, we've reorged a, a little bit here and there to to make sure that we could, um, you know, manage our costs effectively during the during the the pandemic. Many of our customers have done the same um, at at the same time, so uh, it's been it's been challenging for us. Um, there there are some green shoots, I will say. Um, you know, we, we do have some business coming in, um, so that has that has been promising. Uh, we do have some salespeople traveling. I will tell you that I, I've spoken to a salesperson who was actually on a plane headed to Mexico, and I have to say she says the plane was packed. You know, of course she was in a moon suit and had three masks on, but uh, <laughs> she <laughs> she was going to Mexico to meet to meet with some clients. So. There are some there are some green shoots out there, and uh, we do have some salespeople beginning to, to travel now to meet with some clients. But our entire staff, which I'm sure similar to yours, are all working from home. So it's it's been quite a learning it's been quite a learning curve for us. Um, and and like many, I would think with our um, with our with our uh, in-house teams, we've uh, a lot of our workflow has changed, right? So it's been managing the workflow because with I think what's what's happened with a lot of our clients is I don't know if they've laid off a lot of their ad agencies but a lot of the uh, display ads just everything comes in late now 
everything comes in wrong. So there's been a lot of pressure and uh, issues coming in where the team has to uh, uh, mediate the, you know, some of the problems or they're fixing stuff late or, so we've been kind of almost having to take on the role of an ad agency, which could be good or bad, right? Depending if you have the in-house um, resources to do that, that's great for you. If you've got the skill set, hey, if you can charge back your clients and have an incoming revenue stream off of that, if you can, that's great, right? If you can provide that service and uh, can and can benefit from that, that's even better. Um, if you could just provide that service, if there's no incoming revenue off of that, it, it builds that trust, right, with your clients. It, it builds that ability to show that you're a partner during difficult times with your client, right? So it opens up the door to have that conversation with your, your salesperson, to have that conversation with your client, which is always good. Uh, if you don't have that skill set in-house, you know, that's definitely something I think you want to look at because I, I have found that I, I think a lot of our clients, their own, their own teams have been almost decimated, right? There, there's been downsizing, there's been furloughs uh, within our clients as well. So we've had to mitigate some of those conversations as well. Um, so that, that's been some definitely eye-opening conversations I find that our salespeople have had to have with our, with our customers, for sure. Well, I found that uh, even with annexes, um, you know, when that initial shock of COVID, uh, we certainly saw uh, a downturn in, uh, you know, advertising or at least those conversations with advertisers where they felt they had to cut, cut, cut um, a lot of things. And of course, marketing, the marketing budget is part of that. Now, we've seen that up, you know, uptick, uh, you know, over the past several months, which is nice. But our friend Ryan Dorn, who we had on the last uh, uh, podcast, did mention that, you know, for all these people that are cutting marketing, if you're the company that doubles down or keeps your brand awareness out there, then you can be, you know, at that level where people remember you when they're ready to spend money again. Um, I don't know if you found that. Uh, at all in, in some of your advertisers where there's a bit of an excitement to continue with marketing and maybe even spend a little more in some cases, probably on the digital side, um, to keep their name out there for when people are ready to uh, take that next step when it comes to travel or meeting planning or that kind of stuff. Yeah, we, we definitely took a step back and thought about how can we help our clients and ourselves at the same time. We found that a lot of our salespeople were almost afraid to make that initial call to the clients, right? Because they knew the clients' budgets were soft and they were almost afraid to have that conversation because they were like, if I call them, they're just gonna wanna cancel. Right. So I don't even want to yeah. I don't even I yeah, don't, don't even want to have that conversation, right? <laughs> I don't want to pick up the phone. So we thought about what what can we do to help the salespeople make that conversation go a little bit easy. So we came up with this uh, almost like let's have this um, kind of uh, COVID recovery 
plan, right? What, what, you know, what can we do with this COVID? Let's have a COVID recovery plan. It was a way for us to have the salespeople be able to have a structured conversation with our clients during a stressful time, right? So we know this is a time of uncertainty. We know our clients have no money. So how, what can we put in front of our salespeople to be able to take some of the awkwardness out of the conversation with the clients? So we came up with, um, it was a seven point kind of, seven point conversation to have with the clients. And we called it our, um, you know, it was a COVID recovery plan, right? And, and this that, is what this is the PDF that's on your website right now. Yes, it is. It's yeah. a uh, it was a friendly letter to the industry talking about how, you know, uh, we have been in this industry forever. I mean, we actually, I have to tell you, back in the day, we were. I think we were with. Uh, I think we were Connor's travel at the time and we were sold and the day we were sold uh, to become North Star Travel Media at the time, it was 9-11. We sold and the next day was 9-11 and we're in the travel industry. It was brutal. And we came through it. I mean, we were, travel always bounces back, but we came through it. So, you know, we wrote a, you know, a, a short letter, you know, just going back and telling our clients that you know what we have we have lived through drama right and we've recovered and we've taken our experience and we will recover through through covid and so we came up with like seven things that you know during this crisis there's some things you're going to want to think about like now's the time to reassess your brand positioning, right? Now's the time to start to think about where does your brand stand and where do you think you wanna be in the next three to six months? And then let's start to think about your audience and the perception that your audience is going to have around your brand. Or, you know, maybe now is the time to start to think about what was your pre-COVID message, but what is your post-COVID message going to be? Right. Let's let's start to think about that. And then let's focus on things like what does your data look like? Right. Yep. Everybody's got downtime now. Everybody's home. No one's going out. No one's traveling. Right. So let's talk about your data. Right. So we had we had seven different areas that we set up for topics of conversation that were very structured that gave our salespeople an opportunity to call the client, not talk about money, right? Not talk about what, what, what you wanna sell them, but just to start the conversation. And then what we did after that is, we took a step back and we looked at all of our products, right? And then we came up with the comeback playbook, right? So it was the COVID comeback playbook. And we mapped our existing products to each one of those seven points. And we created um, like a, a, power book, a PowerPoint of a, a COVID comeback playbook, playbook. And we mapped products that we had to each one of those seven points. 
and we created packages with discounted pricing for each one of those packages so that as the salespeople were beginning to have those conversations around, say, um, it was, uh, you know, rebranding assessment. Well, we might want to say, you know what, if you're going to want to think about rebranding, then let's take a look at our first look research series sponsorship, right? So we have uh, research products, right? Everybody does research. Survey monkey, woohoo! Let's do some research and blast it out, right? Well, we have custom perception surveys, we have uh, first look research series with sponsorships. So let's create a package that meets the need for, you know, the first bullet point that was on our recovery, uh, our recovery options, right? So that was a, a really good way for us to be able to open up the door of conversation with our salespeople to take the awkwardness out of that first or one or two calls that you had to actually make to your to your clients because they're hard they were really hard conversations to have yeah i encourage everybody to go to northstartravelgroup.com uh it's uh scroll down just a little bit there it's called north stars comeback playbook for client and click on the learn more it's a very it's a it's a neat idea to uh for you guys to put out to your clients who are in essence our our audience uh for this podcast so i encourage everybody to go download that and it's a good read yeah i think i love just the concept of the recovery plan and the playbook that's such a good lesson just for b2b marketers out there in general that in times like this people are not wanting to be made to be felt like they're a, tar a marketing target they want to feel that their vendors and their suppliers are partners and that you're here to support them through it um you know obviously this was a sales tool in so many ways but i imagine it was quite valuable to your clients as well yeah it was um because it really is all about conversation and mm -hmm. listening to your customer feeling their pain points and you know we were going through the same pain we were going through the same pain so another thing you mentioned roberta was um obviously events i can't tell you how many times i've heard people complain that they're missing trade shows they're miss missing those trade shows where they could you know showcase their products and services so and what has Northstar done to facilitate events during this time and, and where do you see them in the future? Well, we were totally face-to-face -face events. In fact, prior to prior to the pandemic, our we went through a acquisition tear. We closed three or four acquisitions at the end of 2019, and they were all in primarily in the face-to-face um, -face event industry in the UK. So we weren't we're not just hemorrhaging in the United States. We're like bleeding out over in Europe as well. So um, it's been it's been a um, really the pandemic's been quite a struggle for us. And and I will tell you that there there was an article today. The U.S. Travel Association. Um, they do a really large international leisure travel buyers conference. Uh, it's one of the largest ones 
that it's also an incentive meetings and incentive buyer travel trade show and they're poised to have a face-to-face -face event which they think they're i think it's scheduled for september 2021 so that just gives you a little feel for when we think the market the the meetings trade show market might be opening up and fingers crossed on that that it actually opens up i would hope sooner than that personally so we um virtual events we we flipped to uh virtual right so all of our events so far has been virtual with the exception of we just finished one hybrid event which was face-to-face -face and hybrid okay. so the first portion of our process was we did the walkthrough of all of the types of virtual event platforms being a software type of person i would say make sure you go with maybe two or three platforms depending on the size of your organization don't be like us and have nine because it makes you want to just put a bullet in your head it's just painful it's too many too, way too many pieces of software to maintain so we will be pairing that back scaling that back next year for sure uh, so um, next year i believe we'll be doing more hybrids than all virtual I, and I think it depends on the type of event, right? So we do we do trade shows, we do just face-to-face -face events, and we do the kind of small road shows where they're a little bit more intimate. And we do a lot of the um, hosted buyer, where you do a lot of the one-on-one -on -one connections, where, where you're pairing up the buyer and the seller together so they can do that face-to-face -face kind of conversation. So we that's why we use a variety of platforms. Um, we're kind of narrowing it down for next year. So we do a variety of different events, different event types. Um, and you know, it's interesting. I, I just recently, we did a very large virtual event. Uh, we had about, I believe it was 500 and no, we had about 750 virtual attendees. And I, I looked at the expenses. I looked at the revenue a lot. We had a lot of a revenue come in. It was a very large, successful looking on paper revenue for us. And I went and I looked at the expense and it was funny. The, because everybody thinks virtual events, the expense should be so low, right? Wouldn't you think, what do you think your expenses are gonna be for a virtual event? What do you think? Like Raise your hand. Like to, to be a client in one? Like to be a... Yeah. A, yeah, you're running your operations, you're running your virtual event. Where do you think most of your expenses are gonna come from? Yeah, you'd right? think it would be a fraction of a live event because you're taking out travel, um, you're taking out accommodations, you're taking out all those sort of hard costs in theory right you think you're going to have what platform fee right your virtual event platform fee plus a user right? fee potentially maybe a user fee right right why well, really right what else you gonna have right that's right staffing and i guess the staffing well your staffing might be in you're, you're thinking oh i'm gonna do it with my in-house staff right maybe you might hire 
one or two people external if you don't have enough in-house staff because maybe you furloughed half your staff so you might want to supplement depending on the size right so i i was i was expecting the cost to be relatively low so i was expecting the margin of the virtual event to come in around like 80 90 percent I, I that's what i was expecting i was expecting buku margin and you know what i saw I, I didn't see the really high margin. It was a decent margin, but it wasn't as high as I expected it to be. So of course me, I was like, let me look at those expenses. I want to drill down, folks. I want to drill down. And when I actually started to look at the look at the actual expenses, I saw a very small platform fee, right? Because the platforms we use are not really that expensive. So I saw the platform fee for the virtual event. I saw the fee for the platform that did the one-on-one -on -one appointments, right? Because you have appointment settings, so that was a different that was a different piece of software we used to do appointment setting, right? And then I saw the fee for the project manager we used to help us run the event because it was a large event. I had 750 attendees. Okay, it was a large event. And then when I started to look through the actual rest of the costs it was people costs it was they hired oh my gosh they had the videographer cuz they created tons of videos for to to you know cuz they wanted to run videos in all the various booths for the sponsor so that told me that not all the sponsors handed in finished video so they must have been creating videos or they were creating videos to run during the sessions. So someone was creating video. That was a cost. Then they were, they were, they had costs related to um, um, audio companies. They had costs related to um, sponsorship programs. So they must have been creating custom booths, which needed custom designers. So they were hiring extra um, staff to do custom development work. So as I started to actually look through the costs, I was like, wow, that, so, so you did save, there was no, you know, when you put on a, an event, there were no food and beverage and lanyards and no, you weren't scanning equipment in and you weren't mailing stuff down to the, to, you know, the Florida Margaritaville Hotel, right? You weren't, so there was none of those costs, but you, you have to watch because your costs, your costs add up. And I was a little surprised at that. So I think it'll be interesting to see as we move forward, really starting to take a look at where your costs come in for your virtual events um, based on what you really think your costs are gonna be. Very interesting. So um, what were the expectations for the sponsors and the exhibitors? It sounds like you guys sort of ate a lot of the costs in terms of setup. Is that because their expectations were, you know, hopefully we're going to get as many leads as we would have out of the live trade show, um, but not have to commit as much time and resources into the content or they didn't have the content. I think that's sort of, 
is that a barrier for people to sponsor for companies to sponsor or exhibit in a virtual event i find with um talking to a lot of the uh people on the events teams they're the sponsors are looking for leads it's leads 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 and they they do have the content um but they're looking for leads at the end of the day um that's primarily what they're looking for. And we're getting the leads. We are, through all of the virtual events we've had, even with the volume of events that we've had, like we have some brands that, you know, the road shows, I mean, we, we do monthly road shows. So we have a lot of virtual events going on. And we've seen a little bit of a trickle down effect with the number of people who are registering. So we have seen a little bit of a drop off, but, but still the volume of people attending the virtual event is still a high number and our clients are still satisfied with the number of leads that they're getting. But at the end of the day, they, they want people. They want people to connect with at the end of the day. And what are the, the ones that are getting the leads? What are they doing differently? What are they doing to optimize the experience? What do you mean? What the like some you said a lot of sponsors are getting leads. I'm curious what they're doing differently as opposed to the other ones that may not be getting out of the event what they were hoping for. Like what are the best practices, I guess, that you're seeing in terms of sponsorship and, and exhibitors? I don't think our sponsors have been unsatisfied at all. I think they're all getting what they want from the platform. But let me tell you what, let me, what I will tell you is that there's definitely a difference in satisfaction level between sponsors that are easy to convert from a face-to-face -face sponsor to a virtual event sponsor if your salesperson spends the time to learn the virtual event platform and how to successfully convert that sponsor into how to make the most out of that platform how they can use that platform to truly understand to how to, they can still make that connection face-to-face -face virtually, all right? So even though we can't sit down and, and chug a yingling, which I don't drink, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> I am a white claw gal, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> but um, white claw, and I, I, I also like martinis, okay? I'm not really a big beer drinker. But we have, so two different business units we have, okay? And we, we had a call on, you know, how are our face-to-face -face sponsors converting over to virtual event sponsorships, right? How, how is the conversion going? Because that's where our event teams are spending the large majority of their time, getting the sponsors to buy into the virtual platforms now, right? How are we converting? And our one business unit is doing really well, but they're doing really well because they are taking the time to take the sponsor into the platform and saying, here, 
This is where in the platform, you're gonna do your one-on-one -on -one, and they go through the one-on-one -on -one, and this is how you're gonna see each other and this is how you're gonna to talk to each other. And this is where you're gonna go after and you're gonna connect one-on-one. -on -one. So they're taking the time to show the sponsor that the connection can still be made where, you know, where you're, you're still connecting with each other. Whereas the other business unit is just trying to verbally make the sale. And so I, I, think it, I think that speaks to how really engaged your sales team really needs to be with the virtual event platform, which means they kind of have to get into technology a little bit, which might be foreign to them. Ooh, spooky. <laughs> Well, yeah, it's like a uh, whole new skill set. That it's it's a whole new skill set. It's not working the trade show floor anymore. It's, it's not. A, yeah, it's so interesting. Like, I guess when uh, an advertiser, one of yours, one of ours, uh, these marketers that are in our in our audience are looking to um, exhibit in a virtual event or sponsor one, and they're not getting that kind of walkthrough or something like that, that's something they need to push for uh, on the on their side, they want to they sh they need to push. So whether it's our event, your event, uh, any number of virtual events that people are going to, if they're spending money to sponsor, and albeit it might be a little less money they're spending than a face to face event, but maybe not, uh, depending on uh, the circumstance, they need to push their representative on the VE side uh, to make sure they're getting everything they need to out of that virtual event. Right. Yes, I would agree. All right. Well, that's we talked a lot about virtual events. That was really good. Yeah. Well, yeah. because it's it's the it. bread and butter, yeah. right? Exactly. Yeah. One thing I have noticed is that obviously there's a lot more noise in the virtual event and webinar space. Um, if you're like me, you're getting invited to a new online event every day. So. Um, I wonder what you guys are doing at North Star sort of outside of that space in terms of digital marketing to help clients with customer retention and customer acquisition, um, whether it's, you know, marketing automation or other tools like that. Yeah. And when it comes to the tools, uh, you know, we as yourselves, Roberta, use Omita when it comes to our email marketing, our audience uh, data uh, kind of our, our data lake, if you will. Um, how are you guys using those kind of tools that are built into Omedia, like uh, Omedia, like uh, the journey, the auto marketing automation to help retain uh, your clients and, uh, you know, making sure, like Stacy said, uh, your message kind of cuts through, cuts through what, what's out there? Sure. So, yes, we use Omedia and we use a couple different features in Omita. Uh, we use the, let's see, one is the modals, right? So those are the little pop-ups that come on to your screen with uh, that capture data. So, and I find that the modals have performed fairly well for us. We use them in a variety of different ways. We use them for uh, capturing newsletter signups, print registration, although print is <laughs> not really cutting the mustard for us these days, digital uh, edition signups, 
and event registration for, for another one. And our conversion rates on the modals have ranged, uh, on the low end, there'll be like a 1.7% conversion rate, but on the high end could be around six or 7% conversion rate on the modals, which are actually pretty good. Um, I will say with modals, uh, food for thought is to make sure you use them wisely, right? Um, Overlays uh, can be used as great conversion tactics, tactics, right? Uh, but they're good to use to pre-qualify your audience. They can be used as a reminder if you want to do a countdown for something, a countdown for an event. Uh, we we use modals to target an audience based on a certain behavior. We'll set up a, a certain behavior or a certain activity that we're looking for. And we'll use a modal to target, or sometimes we'll look for a certain demographic of somebody, and we'll use a modal for that, um, which is really great. But I have found sometimes, <laughs> uh, one time we had like modal overload. You know, you get to a site with like modal, modal, modal. It's just uh, a, a little bit much. And I think uh, when you sit down with the business and you show them a modal, and they're like, oh my God, that's so great. Let's use it. But you have to take a step back and think about your ad model, because if you're still using some of the more intrusive ad units, like a pushdown, or God forbid you're still using a flyover or a peelback ad, like one of those on your websites, you need to think about those more intrusive ad units in regards to when your modal's coming out. So, uh, or if you have video that automatically plays or video that comes out on your website and then kind of sticks down at the bottom of your website, you know, you want to think about when the modal's coming out. So we've found a lot of success with modals, especially during um, when COVID came up, when we were trying to convert print to digital or when we were trying to get signups for virtual events to be successful, but just use them wisely. So that would, that's one great feature I find with Omida. Uh, we use uh, journeys. So um, marketing automation tools have the ability to use uh, journeys, you know, where you can set up an audience and depending on their action, whether they open, click or don't, you know, you can send them on a pathway uh, so we use journeys a, a lot in Omida. Uh, we try to keep them simple. Um, you know, we try to keep them to one or two part series, right? Uh, consistent, you know, come in and act, take an action, send an email, like a two part series. Uh, we, we've, and, and I'll tell you why we've decided to keep them simple. Because in order to make a journey work, you need your creative to be pre-established, all right? So how many marketers, how many clients have their creative pre-established? Not that everybody's raising their hand. I do, I do, because it's a podcast and I can't see you. But, you know, on the honor system, how many people are that organized that their journeys creative are pre-established? Like, if you can be super disciplined, and you can set that journey up to say, hey, I want to you know, do step one, two, and three, and then I wanna send them off into Facebook, and then I wanna send them off into Instagram, and then if they do this, I wanna set up an ad roll. If you can do a complex journey, and you can 
be disciplined enough to have all your creative set up at once, oh, that's awesome. Then by all means, you know, you can set up that more complicated journey. But, um, you know, I have found that in our case, a lot of times it, it, we're lucky if we can just get two or three pieces of creative up front, you know, done and set up. So we do a lot of um, onboarding for anybody who signs up for a newsletter. They're already set up in a pre-set up journey. So they get a welcome letter. Thank you for signing up. This is the brand. This is what we're about. Then five days later, they get a letter from the editor. Um, you know, depending on what they open or they click or if they don't open and click. So we keep it pretty simple. We also do free trial subscriptions. So uh, very similar to the newsletter, if you sign up, we what we've done is a free trial subscription. So it's a communication about um, if they've signed up for a free trial, it's a, it's a welcome. We're glad you signed up for your free trial. And then it's a, how's your free trial going? And then it's your free trials about to end, and then and then you're cut off. And um, so we've done a free trial subscription journey, which is great as well. And then the last thing we've done is um, an ABM program, um, an audience-based marketing or account-based marketing program in, in Omida. And those are, I think, are uh, they can be. They were really big, I would say learning lesson for us, right? Uh, ABM programs. I don't know if your company has done them. Um, have you guys done ABM programs? Not yet. We're in the process of coming up with a uh, uh, bronze or gold, silver, bronze kind of package for advertisers so that hopefully, you know, we can get them to give us that, that content easily enough or we can create it for them and then kind of slot that into some kind of ABM journey of some sort. We're, we're still working on it right now. Um, yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I will give you my lessons learned because let me tell you, I have scars on my back from ABM. <laughs> that wasn't that bad, but definitely we had some lessons learned. I would say um, it was very labor intensive and it required a lot of resources for us to manage ABM, the first, the first two go arounds. And we had a, probably about four key lessons. I would say content is king for sure. But I think what was more important than just the content was whoever controls the content needed to understand the destiny of the program. Because at every stage gate of that program, the content needed to satisfy that stage gate, okay? Um, they needed, the content needed to satisfy the people who were in that little bucket, right? So if the person, had a, if there was an outcome of that journey, like they didn't click on something because they didn't like the content, then the next piece of content needed to fulfill the fact that they didn't like the content, they didn't click on it, right? So the the, the next message couldn't be the same message, right? So right. we learned that 
the hard way, right? Because our first ABM program, we set up the template and we showed the client, okay, here's the journey. So beautiful on paper. Here's your journey. So when you get through stage gate one, if the customer doesn't click on the content, they're going to go into bucket number one. And then you're going to need to provide them a new piece of content. So the client gave us a piece of content, right? A whole new piece of content. Well, all they did in reality was they just took the pig and threw some lipstick on it, right? Well, the, the customer didn't like the pig with the lipstick. And they just thought if they presented the same pig with lipstick, it was going to get a different result. So great, we allowed the customer to control the content, but the customer wasn't connecting the dots that the content really totally needed to be different, right? It can't, and I find that sometimes customers just regurgitate the same content over and over again. They just, like I said, they put lipstick or a different hat or a different wig on the pig and they really expect it to be different. So lesson number one, content's king, but I, I tell you, you have to really control, seriously control the messaging for each one of the stage gates in an ABM program. Lesson number two, labor, labor intensity was a big thing. Um, you know, you really need to make sure you have the resources to manage the whole journey. Um, and I find that to me, ABM programs are meant to be set it and forget it. Th that's the goal. Like, unless you have a mountain of resources who are going to sit around all day and wait for content to come in, so you're going to set up the next stage gate, and then I'm going to wait for another piece of content and set up the next stage gate, you know, that's great. But I don't know about you. I don't have a ton of resources sitting around. I mean, raise your hand on the podcast who's sitting around with a ton of resources. <laughs> Okay, no one's raising their hand. I could just tell you that because we don't have a ton of resources. So to me, marketing automation tools are meant to be efficient. They're meant to be tools for efficiency of operation. So that means you are meant to set up that journey and fulfill all those buckets ahead of time. And so for me, if, if I were a client, and you came, Kyle came to me to sell me an ABM program. And you sat down in front of me and you threw a playbook at me and you said, Roberta, this is what I'm gonna do for you. And you showed me a journey and this is how we're gonna fill all these buckets. And this is how I'm gonna get you leads. And I'm gonna get you a lead at every stage of the game. And you know why I'm gonna do that for you? It's because I have content. You're going to provide me with content or I'm going to create content for you for every single stage of the game that's going to resonate, resonate with every single person that falls into one of these buckets. And you showed me page after page after page. And we're going to set this up on day one. And I'm not pressing go until all those buckets are full, because once it's done and we turn it on, then I'm going to sit back and I'm monitoring it. And then I'm monitoring the flow of people who come in through that stage gate. And then I'm turning the levers on and off. And then I'm tweaking the program as it goes. And then I'm watching the reporting. 
And then I'm saying, okay, too many people are flowing through this stage. Something's wrong and I can make adjustments. That is a much better approach than winging it as you go. Like that, you're not supposed to wing it. Wing it doesn't make me money. Winning doesn't, winging it doesn't make me efficient. And winging it doesn't make my staff run like a well-oiled machine. And if I'm on the operations side, I want a well-oiled machine. I want my salespeople to feel comfortable with me that my operations team work like a well-oiled machine because I want my salespeople selling hundreds of these things. I want, I want hundreds of these sold. So you have to be set up in advance. So I would say to you, if you want the gold, silver, and platinum plan, honey, you better be like, you better be so buttoned up that you're, you're, you're killing it. So we took a step back with ABM and we said, okay, we are going to need a product manager, right? We need a product manager on the sales calls, right? That's another thing we did. We put a product manager on the sales calls, someone who actually knew what an ABM program was because our salespeople weren't versed enough to sell it. Another thing we did was we um, ran audience analysis before we committed to any type of lead counts because too many times we got burned with, yeah, we'll promise you 500 leads. Well, that, that ship sailed, right? So once we put product managers on the sales call who really could understand the journey and understand why we needed creative ahead of time and the purpose of the creative and then how you dial up and down the levers. Now they really started selling more of them and the reporting that you get out of it. And now we're trying to button up more on the audience analysis ahead of time. So we don't pre-sell too many leads that we can't guarantee. Then what we did was we mapped out a, a more simplified audience journey, an ABM program. So I like to say we do ABM light because it's kind of a pre-mapped out plan. We sell one version of it. We don't do, we don't do gold, silver, and platinum. We sell one version of it because we're trying to do one thing well. We just we sell one version of it, mapped out really well, and that's what we sell. And it's just started to pick up. And why has it picked up? Because in the name of, of COVID, everybody wants leads. Now everybody wants leads. And because they can't be face-to-face, -face, it's it the name of the game is leads. So now we're in we're really more into ABM now for sure. So I guess when we look at um maybe a takeaway for our, our audience as well is when you look at these kind of journeys or marketing automation or trickle campaigns, um, you've said it yourself, Roberta, that they gotta maybe not worry about that pig and be able to pivot to uh, a totally different message. So, you know, a lot of marketers come uh, to us and probably to yourselves as well, where they wanna promote one specific thing uh, it's got to be, you know, we need people to go to this this page or watch this video or do this. Um, they got to be ready to pivot on that. And if people don't want to don't want to click on their message or don't want to, you know, or aren't perceptive to that message, they got to be able to pivot to something. You know, they can still be talking about the same product, 
but maybe go about it, um, you know, through a different, you know, through a case study next time or through something totally different than, you know, their pure PR marketing message. Is that fair? Yes, that's fair enough. Yes. Agreed. Just the nature of ABM is you're getting quite granular with the audience. So the expectations for leads can be so far away from the reality. Um, so I like I like what you're saying about sort of managing expectations. And that's such a good takeaway, I think, for B2B marketers, that when you are getting that granular, you're going to need a lot of content with a lot of different variables. And so it's really the publisher or your media brand that is actually your most valuable partner because they're the ones who truly understand your audiences and how they convert. So even when you're talking about pop-ups and having like a policy around how many are appearing and which ones convert and which ones don't and the journeys and, and you know, which ones are going to give you a good indication of, of what works and what doesn't. And that's your, that's your media brand. That's your publisher. Those are your partners in that. So, um, you know, cause we're, we're experimenting with that all the time. We know what drives conversions in terms of subscriptions um, and in-house promotions and things like that. So I think that's such a good takeaway is to, for B2B marketers to benefit from all the lessons that you've learned um, as a publisher in that space. Yeah, and you can you can test your ABM with a client first. Like, let's say you find a customer, if you haven't done one before, if you haven't sold one yet, you know, you, you try to find that customer who would be a willing partner with you to try the program out with first right so you know we have a new program and you know this is what we're working on and we really think it'll be beneficial and you try to bring them in as a partner to be your test run with right you know no no guarantee on uh, you know how many leads you're going to get but you know we we want to we're trying to find a partner to kind of test run our first pilot program with and you know that's where you get your practice with a, a customer who you think would be willing to work with you on your first run out of the gate, who um, would be a successful partner with. That's what we did out of the gate first, a partner, a partner client, which was helpful. We had to work out some of the kinks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I bet um, we're going to try it on, on an internal. Um marketing kind of campaign first just to kind of so we can so we know what we're talking about when we do try and partner with somebody who's a forward-looking company and you know wants to be able to partner with us and and helping you know hopefully get their message out but in a new and different way to them so yeah we're going to try it internally first and uh, see how we go see what we learn see what we fail at and um, yeah. I'm sure it'll be lots on both sides. <laughs> yeah, and make sure you think about the reporting too at the end, uh, what you want to report on at the end as well. Um, so you're kind of have some foresight for when you do your marketing, right? When you do your own test yeah. run, you want to think about ahead of time is what do you want the reporting to look like at the end of the day as well? Yeah, because in theory, you could do reporting on every aspect of this campaign. How many right. people you know, clicked on this or didn't, what did they do after that? And, but is that, you know, just throwing everything at the client, right? When really what they're concerned about is the success of the program, right? In the end, right? So is that lead generation? Is that, uh, um, you know, tier one leads, tier two leads, whatever you want to call them, right? Um, 
so on the note of learning a bunch of stuff about ABM, automated automation marketing or marketing automation, um, over the past eight months, we've all had to learn a lot going through uh, COVID. And, um, you know, maybe what are your top three things that North Star was able to, uh, um, did, to do over the past eight months to help your business through these times well, and clients as well? Well, I guess I would say one of the saving graces we had was our education programs. So we sell learning education to our travel agent community, right? So our travel agents come online and they become certified in learning for, say, Marriott or the Hawaii destination. And it's a SaaS recurring revenue stream for us. So that really saved us during COVID because we had a, a, a large number of education programs already on the books. So that recurring revenue stream made us a little bit more resilient or like a little bit more recession proof during, during COVID. So I definitely think that you always want to keep in mind what types of programs you offer your customers. And if you don't have anything that looks like a recurring revenue model that could help you become a little bit more sustainable during things like we've just gone through, you, you want to be a little bit, you, you want to look at that, right? If, whether it's a community-based model or you know, some, something that could give you some form of a recurring revenue stream if you don't have one. So that, that was definitely something that I think was really helpful for us to have. I think the a virtual with the virtual events, what we did, you know, because we have our own virtual events, we actually became a reseller of virtual events. Because you know me, Kyle, we are the kings and queens of reselling. So we we resell education. We we white label our LMS, our learning management platform. So we became a reseller of virtual events. So we went out to our some of our customers who, like I said, were also downsized and furloughed, who also needed to reach customers but didn't have the staffing. And we said, hey, we put on events. We are you know, we have event planners on staff. We have the virtual event platform. You know, we have nine of them to choose from. <laughs> do you want face-to-face? -face? I mean, do you want one-on-one um, -on -one appointment setting? Do you want a trade show type of event? Like, what kind of event do you want? Because we run the gamut on events, you know. Um, and so we offered our services to customers to put on and manage their virtual events for them. And it became a brand new revenue stream for us. And uh, it it's paid off well for us because <laughs> it, uh, we, we let the clients handle registration because it's their customers, right? They're not our customers. We let the client spin up their own registration. 
they handle the registration and the emails, right? So they don't go into our audience database or our emails because we don't know these people. And some of them aren't even in our industry. Like one cu one customer is in the music industry, right? So not in the travel industry, but they were an association, right? And they needed to have an event and they needed a virtual event. And it's like 1,200 musicians, right? Um, has nothing to do with us, but they needed a virtual event. And that's what we do. We do events and we have that skill set. So that was, a, that was very ingenious on our part and very creative, brainstorming. Like what skills do we have in-house that we do all the time that we could offer up as a service to somebody else? That was something that we did. Um, well, and if and, you look at uh, even probably some of our listeners are in associations and they're the marketing person for that association, partnering with their media brand of choice to be able to throw an event that they can't do because they don't have the resources, uh, the time, et cetera, um, is, is a great opportunity to, uh, you know, really get involved with their industry, obviously, but just to give that uh, the media brand has the expertise yes right yes uh, and we we've, we've done a few for associations that we deal with but there's there's so much opportunity out there for other associations that you know you don't have to do everything yourself yes yes and if if you are an association on the phone and you do need to have a, a virtual meeting by all means call us um and we try to keep it um cost effective because we just we know how we know everybody's struggling and it's it started out because we needed another revenue stream but it also started out too because we are in the meetings industry as well and we saw a lot of associations struggling and associations are our partner and we hated to see them struggling like we were and we we wanted to help um, primarily so that's kind of where that uh, idea kind of came from and it, it actually worked out well so we were helping our associations and it kind of snowballed so um, it, it, that that actually helped us it helped our associations and um, you know it, it's been it's been helpful and it makes us feel good too at the same time um, you know we also you know we found from talking to our customers that you know, since they are primarily looking at leads, uh, we don't we don't really need to revamp all of our products. You know, we don't need our customers are not looking for big products. They're not looking for complex products. So we're um, we're we're going to basically try to just go back and go through our product portfolio and maybe see out of all of the products that we have what what products can we put together that maybe uh, could have a, a new lead gen component associated with them in some way um that our customers might you know might be attractive to our customers and how can we package them to be lead gen focused um, we want to keep the products simple we want to keep them inexpensive and we want them to be like a cheerful product package because everybody's so depressed right so you know simple inexpensive and cheerful 
um, you know, like I said, our clients and our staff, you know, you know, everybody's been kind of, everybody's tired, you know, everybody, it, aren't you tired? So tired of the lockdowns, Every day. <laughs> I'm tired of the COVID. Um, you know, we, you know, it's just, people need some cheer. So right now we're just trying to, you know, re go back through our portfolio. What can we package to be lead gen oriented, keeping it simple, inexpensive with a cheerful message, something that we can be uplifting and positive and show our, our customers that we could be a partner to them. So that's kind of what we're trying to focus on now. I think we just came full circle. We started talking about your recovery plan and how, you know, people are looking for partners to, to work through this all together. So I think that's, I think we just came full circle and that's a great way to wrap it up. Thank you so much. It was really, really insightful. Great. Glad yeah, I you, could be helpful. You finished your first podcast, uh, Roberta. So now you got that under your belt. And right. uh, we just want to thank you again for uh, appearing on our podcast with us. It was very informative. But anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah, great, uh, great interview, Roberta. Um, hopefully we'll get to see you, see you in person at some event sooner rather be, than later. Yeah, that would be great. I'd love to see some people. Well, I don't know if we'll be seeing Roberta in person anytime soon, but it was really great having her on the podcast today. It was, Stacey. And with that, that's a wrap on our first episode of season two. You can find out more info about North Star Travel Group at northstartravelgroup.com. And as always, if you have feedback or ideas for new episode topics, email us at podcast at thisisannex.com. As always, I'm Kyle Shea. And I'm Stacey Bradshaw. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to This Is Annex, the podcast about marketing for B2B marketers brought to you by B2B marketers. As always, please send your questions or comments to podcast at thisisannex.com and subscribe in Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. This is Annex.